Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net. Be sure to sign up for the email newsletter there, which is quick and easy. All that's required is an email address. And be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. You can find the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Hawaii. Wow, that's a first for this show. My guest has been releasing new music for 22 years, including 17 albums. He performs throughout the Hawaiian Islands, the U.S., and around the world. He both opened for and appeared on stage with Willie Nelson, and in recording studios he has worked with the likes of Michael McDonald and Chris Christopherson, among many, many others. He has even earned four Hoku Award nominations, which is Hawaii's version of the Grammys. Plus, he was also honored with the Gandhi and Martin Luther King Peace Hero Award. You've been hearing an instrumental version of his song, Teach Them. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Marty Dredd. Aloha, Bruce. Aloha, Marty. Thank you for spending your what in Hawaii is currently morning time with me. I was just going to say good morning, too. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) We used the instrumental version, but let's start off by having you tell the listeners about your song, Teach Them, and then folks can go get the version that has the lyrics. Okay, this song is is a very important song to me. At at the moment, I'm feeling like the world is in, in a situation where a lot of the younger people are sort of in this quagmire with technology. What I mean is people are just so addicted to their cell phones and their their eye devices and things, so much so that they might not even look out the window to see a beautiful sunset or they might not notice a beautiful girl walking by because they're so you know, addicted to their phone technology. The lyrics of the song are, are actually quite poignant in my opinion. And, and it says, every day I hear them say, our children have lost their way. But is it them or is it really us letting them go astray? They might be more techno-smart, but do they really know the heart of what it is to really live? So it's it's a, sort of a call to instill values about things in life from our yesteryear. Bruce, you, when you and I grew up, to entertain ourselves, we might have had a paper route. We might have gone outside to dig worms in the yard, climb the pussy <laughs> with The things that were a little bit closer to nature, I feel like the technology... While it's a good thing in so many ways, I feel like there needs to be a balance. So the, the song is really a call for balance. Now, the fact that you were able to send me both the version with the lyrics and an instrumental version, uh, how is it that you had an instrumental version available? I just received that mix, and the mix is, uh, in, in my genre, in my predominant genre in reggae, the version is actually a very important component because a lot of DJs that would play your music in my genre will play the song and then they will speak about you on the version after the song is played. And also when a DJ is spinning in a club, the version becomes very important because toasters, or what we call in America rappers, <laughs> do their thing over the version, which is how rap and hip-hop was born. I'm not sure if your listeners are, are too hip to the origins of rap and hip-hop, But it all started in Jamaica when the sound system operators would play the vocal side of, say, a Marvin Gaye song or a Fats Domino song. And then they would play the instrumental. And the MC for the evening, whoever was controlling the microphone, would get on and toast or or rap mostly about himself over that instrumental. And that style of toasting took root in New York City, where a lot of Jamaicans had emigrated to, and uh, Brooklyn in particular. And so you found people like Cool Herc and Africa Bombada and all of those people are all descendants of Jamaican immigrants that took the version style of toasting over instrumentals from the Jamaican culture, which spawned hip hop and rap. Hmm. Wow. Good uh, Good early music history lesson here on, on this episode. And uh, listeners, 
Go back and listen to episode 121 of Now Hear This Entertainment. My guest was Leandro. He is a hip-hop artist from Toronto that was on that episode talking to me. So uh, if you're looking for someone in the hip-hop genre that has been on Now Hear This Entertainment before, go to episode 121 and listen to that conversation. In the meantime, because we have been fortunate enough to get listeners to this show from 128 countries around the world, many of them are being introduced to you for the first time, Marty. So tell the listeners about your original music, because you are known as Hawaii's reggae ambassador, which is a style of music people usually associate with Jamaica, yet you actually do a wide variety of genres when you perform. I do indeed. Um, Because I live in Hawaii, coming up amongst the ranks as a musician, I was sort of forced to play all genres of music because it's a very tourist-based economy. And a lot of my clientele, a lot of the people that I play for come from Canada, they come from Australia, they come from the States, and they are used to certain types of music. So to implement Jamaican reggae into my sets, I first need to catch them with things that they knew. For instance, I would play a Van Morrison song or an Elvis song or a Maroon 5 song as well as play my original reggae stuff. So it's sort of uh, like going fishing. You have to use bait to catch them. Mm, so, I like it. That, and in Hawaii also, another. this could be very true with musicians in other locales. I'm not sure. But I find that if you have a dance floor full of people and a band comes on, playing familiar music, particularly right in the beginning, is a good way to keep them there. Because if you start with original music, whether it's good, bad, or or in between, the unfamiliarity sometimes causes people to say, "You know what, honey? Let's go get a drink." Yeah, you know, let's, yeah. Go to the, let's go to the bar. But if you if you automatically catch them with something that they like and they can sing along to, which is key, I think, uh, I think that has become a, a blessing and a curse for a lot of artists. Myself, I'm a very poignant, uh, prolific songwriter. So, with 17 albums out and and countless songs that have unreleased. I get caught in the the trap sometimes of having to please the audience yet want to show them my art. So I have to try and find that balance once again. Can I share what's mine that I've written from my perspective, yet also give them some entertainment that they're familiar with and that they will really rock to? Yeah, that's that's an interesting dilemma because when somebody has been releasing new music for 22 years, I mentioned in the intro, 17 albums, uh, you know, whether you... Because so so many of the guests that come on this show, it, it's wonderful to see everybody's just so humble and, and will say, I don't even really consider them my fans. I don't know what to call them. And I usually say, OK, you're followers. But, you know, after after 22 years and, and 17 albums, admit it. I mean, you have fans. And so those fans want to hear Marty Dread original music. But yet you're saying, well, this isn't one of those types of shows. I can't just stand up here and do all my original stuff. And so you do have to find that balance. And that, and that must be, uh, can I say it's a challenge for you regularly to, to, <laughs> to try to please everybody? <laughs> Absolutely correct. Absolutely. For instance, I did a, a boat cruise here in Hawaii called the Island Rhythm Sunset Cruise. And it was wildly popular. In fact, it was in the top three activities in the, in Hawaii for many years. They did it for six years, two days a week. And probably 80 to 90% of that clientele were foreigners. You know, they'd come off other cruise ships or they'd fly in from Canada or Japan or wherever. Mm-hmm. And there was a contingency of people that always came on that boat that were my quote unquote fans that always wanted to hear my original songs. Yet mm. I still had to please the tourists as it were. I had to please them by playing the popular tunes that keep them rocking on the dance floor. So it, it always has been a challenge to find that uh, marriage of familiarity and pleasing my hardcore fans that know my original music. And in concerts, I never play those cover tunes. I always play my songs. Sure. When I'm on a stage and I can, they're coming to see me in particular. But sure. when I'm playing a tourist-based venue, I do have to walk that line. Or I, I face people walking out going, man, he didn't play one song I knew. Yeah, isn't it interesting that you have to play the cover stuff to keep people hanging around and then try to slip in some of your originals, yet here's a case of where people are hardcore Marty Dread fans and they're saying, uh, let's walk away for now. He's not playing his original stuff. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. That does happen. That does actually happen. 
Wow. Wow. Very interesting. You also have an arm of Marty Dread music that is all about performing at weddings and not just in Hawaii. It is said that you have bands on two of the Hawaiian islands, as well as in Los Angeles, New York, Las Vegas, Miami, Brazil, and London. I, I can't imagine that you actually perform with those bands when they're booked to play in those locales, do you? Because I guess the the other question is, how tough is it to maintain quality control of a band that's so, so far away from where you are? And unless I'm wrong and you are performing with them in all these locations. Well, I am indeed. When I go to those particular places, uh, the bands that I use, are I mean, I've been doing it for long enough. They're fairly familiar, in fact, very familiar with my repertoire. And I just... How I keep it fresh for myself is when I go, in fact, I'm going to Brazil this December and I'll be there for almost a complete month. The band that I play with in in Brazil is more of an alt rock band. So I play completely different music with that band than I play with my band in Miami. And the band in Miami plays completely different music than the band I play with in, in Vegas, for instance. So here's a way for me to play all my original songs. I play six of my songs with this band. I play six different songs with that other band. Uh That's, them all the time you, you see when i get a, if i get some shows in la for instance i'll use a band there that's a very popular backing band they're not my band per se they they live in la and work there all the time but i'll i'll, I'll call upon them and say hey we've got a date in february or we've got a string of dates in february here's my set list and they'll just learn it i get uh, there two okay. days rehearse it and we go for it okay but i do literally have bands in all those you mentioned Hmm. How long have those bands been in those different locations under the Marty Dread umbrella? Since the 90s. Wow. Wow. Since and, the 90s, and, and, because and, there's also in Portland, in Oregon, there's a band in Seattle that I use. I mean, there's there's literally bands all over that when I get a gig. And the thing is, being from Hawaii puts me at a slight disadvantage as far as being booked on concert bills, because the promoter will say to themselves, okay, I can, let's say the festival is in Northern California. They'll say, okay, I can either fly Marty Dredd's whole band from Hawaii. That's seven people. And that's their counting hotels, plane tickets, per diems, you know, Trent ground transportation, or it's more attractive to fly just Marty Dredd, who's the principal songwriter anyway, mm-hmm. and use a band from there. Mm-hmm. It just makes more sense from a festival promoter's perspective. And I get that. Sometimes they want my band. You know, I've been to Tahiti and places like that where they want my band. Mm-hmm. And, the, and they have the budget to do so. All well and good. I even, a lot of times when they say they want my band, I have to hold out to bring my own engineer. Because that's another issue with live music is when you get to a, a location and you're just subject to whatever live engineer they have allotted that day. And he may not know your genre even. He may not. He certainly doesn't know your cues, mm. your effects cues, and mm-hmm. want your drums and all that stuff. So holding out for your own engineer sometimes can be a make or break thing with a with a getting a booking mm. because they don't pay the extra plane ticket. They don't want to pay the extra fee. Well, and unfortunately, at the end of the day, you need to look at putting food on your table, paying your bills. And so as much as you'd like to have your own band with you, if someone's going to say, look, we will fly you over and you alone, but not your band, that's when you have to make the hard decision and say, as much as I'd love to have my band with me, if it's the difference between not getting the work or not, I need the work to pay my bills and to put food on my table. So I'm going to go and leave my band behind and play with a band over there. And my band has been very understanding about that. My, my Maui bass band, they all play in several other bands too. So it's not a, an issue of an ab- abandonment or anything like that. They all have plenty of work with other bands. Uh, sometimes okay. I, I can't even schedule my own band on this island because they all work with other bands. <laughs> I'll say, hey, we've got New Year's Eve. And the bass player say, oh, sorry, I committed somewhere else. Or the drummer will say, hey, I'll get you a sub because then else. Wow. wow. So it's a two-edged sword, you see. Yeah, yeah. Well, so hearing all that, you have your own original music that you record for sale, plus you tour, you have these wedding bands, and I mentioned in the intro about studio work. Is there an order of priority where you put the emphasis for those options on the list that I just rattled off, or is it first come, first serve, meaning I'll take whatever work comes my way? How how do you manage all those different hats? Well, a lot of my, my wedding business comes from referrals. I do have a wedding website 
Um, people can go there and listen to my song clips and see which venues I've played and get testimonials from couples and wedding coordinators, things like that. And those don't come nearly as often as the concert offers come. So I try and juggle those. Typically, those pay a lot better. <laughs> so I try and work those in when I can because the weddings have been, in fact, in the last two or three years, I've done more weddings than concerts. Mm. So I try to prioritize where I can still be creative because the weddings is 100% cover songs. They're not going to let you get up there and play sure, your original sure. songs unless people is familiar with some of your songs and yeah. wants those particular songs. But yeah. you can pretty bank on the fact that you'll be playing Jason Mraz and, you know, mm -hmm. James Taylor. You're mm -hmm. going to be playing wedding songs. So, but I like doing that kind of work too because it always, without fail, they'll throw a song at me that I've never had to play before. So I have to learn some different arrangement of something. Or I like those shows. But I think as far as getting back to your question specifically, as far as how to prioritize that, because I'm self-managed, what I do is I look at all the offers and then I try and prioritize them by how can I make all these string together. Mm -hmm. If they're all in one state, easy to do. But if I have to say, okay, for instance, in November, I've got three weddings in Hawaii, two in California, and four concerts on the West Coast. Then I have to, I have to sort of make those all fit together so yeah. that I can create a route, as, as it were. So I have to look at them. And some of them might have to get passed upon just because of making it all work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I mentioned studio work. Listeners, if you are looking for gear for your own home studio, check out Tascam.com. I am completely outfitted with Tascam gear, both when I'm recording here as well as when I'm out on location. By now, you should know about the all-in-one recording solution called the Track Factory, which is what I'm using right now to record this episode with Marty and what I will have done all the post-production work on by the time this episode comes out. The Track Factory is great for musicians because it has a microphone, headphones, a small computer preloaded with Windows 10, and Sonar as the audio editing software. I'm actually using my Tascam Mini Studio Creator as the audio interface, which allows me to record from Skype, but the Track Factory comes with a US 2x2 audio interface. There's pictures of a lot of my Tascam gear on our show's Instagram account, which is at Now Hear This Entertainment. But look at Tascam.com to see the wide variety of audio solutions that they offer. Marty, for the listeners who are up-and-coming musicians, give them the insight on the business decision that you made relative to no longer doing those sunset cocktail cruises that you referred to. You, you did that for six years. I'm glad you asked me that question because I, I literally face this question every time I go out in public because it was so popular. It was so wildly popular that people are like very, very upset that I'm not doing it anymore because mm. they, a lot of people, when they come to Hawaii, they plan on that. Oh. A lot of my business repeat business. In fact, probably over 40% of it were people that would come back year after year. So I'm, I'm, I just left that four months ago. So I'm still hearing a lot of backlash about leaving mm. that. Well, and that's, you know, I wanted to hear the business reason because, you know, we just got finished talking about how do you prioritize all those different hats. And so this was popular, but obviously you had a very sound rationale for, for why you stopped it. Yes. I think my reason was more creative because on that boat, as a songwriter, I, I just have so much music coming out, so much music that I ha still have to promote. I felt like I wasn't focusing on originality on the boat, and I'd done it. It takes so much energy for me to do that twice a week, to load gear under that boat and to entertain those people and play all these cover songs. I really felt like I was better serving my be, or being more true to my art hmm. by stepping away from that and focusing on my recordings and touring more and playing my original music because although it was very lucrative for me to do, it, was, it paid very well, I had to make the decision I had to ask myself, am I going to be doing this when I'm 50? Do I want to be uh, a singer on a boat? Or, do, or am I going to try and really make a go at making mm. my career jump? Wow. And so it was very hard. And I, and I gave up a fantastic income. And, and some days I wake up going, why did I give up that boat? <laughs> <laughs> Especially, I mean, I'm going to try and put a visual in your head real quickly. Mm -hmm. Try and imagine this. I want your listeners to try and imagine this too. You're surrounded by amazing vistas of mountains and sunsets and here's this a guy on the deck of this huge boat with a huge dance floor with a 
fantastically fine-tuned sound system and it sounds like a record out there i got it to the point where it sounded like a million bucks mm. and there are whales jumping right next to the boat and mm. dolphins see you and you're dancing with your girl and having a drink in paradise i mean it really had everything there's nothing I, I, anyone could ever tell you about that cruise that was a negative it had everything and it was so good for so long but i had to say to myself too much of a good thing sometimes can be bad <laughs> and i said i need to focus on my original music and though I had played original music out there sometimes because my fans do frequent that cruise, it's not the predominant desire. The predominant desire is people want to dance and hear familiar stuff. And I'm cool doing that to a point. But I do, I do really feel like my gift to this world is singing my original songs and whatever mm -hmm. came from my heart. And I don't get a chance to do that on the boat very often. So I had to make that. It was a business decision because I'm, whale season is starting literally in two weeks. And they got someone else to replace me. So he'll be reaping everything I mm. sowed the last six years. Yeah, everything he'll get that you built up. Yeah, exactly. And I'm happy for him but because it was my decision to walk away. But, you know, it, it definitely will hurt my pocket. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, I take my hat off to you. I, I take my headphones off to you <laughs> um, because that's, you know, that that's a damn rare thing for somebody to make the decision which – you know, yes, there's a financial component to it, but because you made the decision based solely on your art and on your commitment to your original music, you know, which let, let's be honest, you know, is, is an unknown, you know, anytime somebody puts out a new record, I don't care if you've done seven albums or 17 albums, people are always going to say, hmm, let's hear what this new one sounds like. And you're passing up a sure thing in those cruises in favor of something that you're going, well, I hope people will continue to buy it. I don't know that they will. I'd like to think they will. So that's that's very commendable, Marty. Thank you. You know, I, I'm feeling like I was born in the wrong uh, century, as it were. I mean, it's so much harder now to make money as a musician than it was, say, in the 70s or 80s. With the digital streaming and people being able to download music for free and all that. I mean, it's you have to be very creative. Nowadays, what I look at a CD or a record as a business card. If someone likes my song, I get the booking. And that's where how I stay alive in music. I mean, unless you're selling numbers like Britney Spears or Bruno Mars, yeah. you're not really making yeah. money on records. For instance, if it's Pandora or Spotify, you every time you get a spin, you get a fraction of a penny. It's not like you're getting 80 cents for a spin. You're getting a fraction of a penny. So, so if you do just basic math, you got to get thousands of spins to make dollars yeah, you got to make yeah. millions of spins to make thousands of dollars so yeah. it's just it's not easy to, to survive as a musician well at the same time though you know we just heard you talk a few minutes ago about all this wedding work that that you get and that you have coming up and i know that there are days when you have done two bookings in one day sometimes even three you do solo shows you do full band shows you you, you seem like like you're always working yes it, what 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 is the key yes. to what is the key to staying busy like like that getting all those bookings is it the flexibility meaning being able to play as a solo act versus having a band i think it is that because i could if i could say to a wedding planner if it was a wedding i could say i could be your dj tonight i could be the mc i could be the guy singing the acoustic music at the ceremony i could be the guy fronting the band at your reception mm. it it really is being able to ride all ponies as it were <laughs> if you are a one trick pony you'll get a certain amount you can if you can say to somebody i can offer you six services as opposed to two that broadens your appeal you know and and i think with me in particular the the people that i've always worked with all the wedding planners and concert promoters i think they we generally get along as people and a, a lot of musicians have a bad rap being hard to deal with or their management is not quite on the up and up. I've always tried to keep it very human and keep it very amicable with the for on the people side of it. And I think that's why I get repeat business because I've never, you know what I mean? I have a, a, a very high integrity and, and I, I think people respect that and they come back to someone who, if you say you're going to be there at 8 o'clock, you're there at 8 o'clock. If you say you're going to be dressed in black you show up in black you know those type of things seem very small and insignificant but you'd be surprised how many musicians do not abide by the things that they say 
So I've I've tried very hard to be to be a man of my word in in the music industry, and I think that has paid off because, like I said, I get a lot of repeat business, a lot of, and probably over fifty percent of my business is people that have hired me before mm. and want me again, which is good. I I feel good about that. I feel good about the the way I have presented myself because um, if they didn't have that feeling toward me like okay I can count on this guy to, to deliver this particular thing yeah. they wouldn't call me back you know okay now it's time for Bruce's bonus this is a segment here on now hear this entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of now hear this incorporated giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians singers songwriters entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it Today's bonus is, please don't try to increase your chances of your emails getting responded to by putting RE colon at the beginning of your subject line. That's a deceptive practice that I have actually heard top journalists say is a huge turnoff to them. If anything, it might increase your chances of it not getting replied to or maybe even result in a nasty response or having future emails from your address blocked. Have a strong subject line that isn't the same as all your fellow performers are using and experiment from time to time to see what your open-slash-close rate is, but do not experiment with seeing if RE colon works. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. How about that? Helpful? There are a whole bunch of tips just like that over all the prior episodes of this show. To make it easy for the listeners out there who are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers to get the tips in one concise format, there is a Bruce's Bonus Book Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3 for purchase in ebook format, giving you all the tips from episodes 1 to 40, 41 to 80, and 81 to 120, respectively. Just go to www.brucesbonusbook.com for online ordering and instant delivery. Marty, I mentioned back in the intro that you have done 17 albums. I want to go back to your 2014 release called Up Country Boy because it was cover songs. Again, for the benefit of the listeners who are up-and-coming performers, talk about doing a project like that. Is there a rationale for the songs that you pick, meaning some hidden business reasons for including them? And then also, what about getting all the rights clearances, the permissions? I'll start with the first question. That particular record of Country Boy was a brainchild of mine that I had been conceptualizing for years. My mother and father were big vinyl collectors. I grew up in New York. And I would always go through their vinyl collection and, and, and listen to my favorite songs. And some of those songs, Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapin, Have You Ever Seen the Rain by Credence, all those songs wound up on this record. It was a deliberate attempt by myself to go back through my parents' vinyl collection and pick my favorite songs of my childhood uh-huh. and make reggae versions of them. It's nothing to do with the audience and if they would accept it. It was me wanting to do cool versions of my favorite songs from wow. my childhood. Wow. And that's what and that's what I did. And whether or not people accepted it or not was sort of, you know, circumstantial to me. <laughs> I just really wanted to do that for a long time. Getting the clearances on those songs, um, how that usually goes is if it's a fairly old composition, like most of the ones I picked, they're either with the Harry Fox agency or they're what they call copyright control. If they're written before, I think it's 1955, then anybody can cover it. But if it has its own copyright and its own um, publishing, you have to go through an agency to get what you call a clearance license. And they're, you know, what you do is Let's say the song is You Had Me From Hello by Kenny Chesney. You say, I want to get a license for that. So you apply to Harry Fox Agency to get a license to be able to copy that song. And then you pay a penny rate depending on how many copies you press. If you press 20,000 CDs, you pay a penny rate on those 20,000 CDs. Okay. But the main thing, main thing this is what I'm instilling your listeners is it doesn't matter how many copies you sell. It doesn't matter how many copies you print. What matters is that you correctly credit the publishing company and you correctly credit the songwriters mm. and the copyright holders. Because when a collection agency collects on your version or their version, all of that goes to them. You cannot obviously claim, even if you put 
a sentence in there and you think I co-wrote this song with Ray Charles. <laughs> you didn't write that with Ray Charles unless Ray Charles said, or his publishing company said, you can now have part of our copyright. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you have to choose the actual copyright owners and the actual publishing owners and credit them correctly. So let's say my version of Walking in Memphis from that record got you know, millions of spins somewhere and BMI or ASCAP were collecting on it. Because I cr- credited them correctly, all of those royalties will go to them. And that's the whole point, is crediting them correctly great. so that the songwriters still reap their rewards of their creativity. Great lesson, great lesson. And listeners, he was talking about vinyl, which makes me think of episode 163 of this show. If you want to hear some guys talking about their affinity for vinyl, their love of vinyl, uh, vinyl collectors, some of the guys in the band Death Angel... They were guests on episode 163. Go back and listen to that one. Uh, more recently, episode 181, Jerry Jean, he talked about his newest album and actually releasing his new album on vinyl and what that looked like in terms of the actual production. Uh, Marty, your last release was last year, 2016. Is there going to be something new in 2018? Indeed. I actually just returned from Jamaica where I got to work with my heroes, Sly and Robbie. They are called the Rhythm Twins. They're from Jamaica. And they have worked with Mick Jagger. They've worked with Bob Dylan, Grace Jones. But they've also done literally a who's who of reggae guys as well, including the first ever Grammy winners, Black Uhuru. I mean, I think Sly and Robbie have several Grammys under their belt. But they're, they're a production team, but they're a drummer and bass player. So I got to work on a new record with them in Jamaica. And that will be out hopefully before 2018. I'm trying to get it out by Christmas, but ah. probably most realistically it'll, be in the fir- realistically, it'll be out in the first quarter of the year. And the song you played earlier, Teach Them, will be on that as well. Ah, okay. The, uh, the, the version with the lyrics, obviously. Of course. Wonderful. I am talking with Hawaii-based singer, songwriter, guitar player Marty Dredd. Visit his official website at martydread.com, spelled exactly how you would think, although, as always, we will, of course, have a link to it on the show page for this episode on nhte.net. There are links on martydread.com to his social media, which would be Facebook and Twitter. He does also have his own official YouTube channel. You can find Marty's music on SoundCloud, which, of course, is one of the platforms that our show is available on. But do purchase Marty's music. It's available on iTunes. Keep up with him online to see where and when you can see him perform live. And also check out MartyDreadWeddings.com. Send an email just to let us know that you listen to Now Hear This Entertainment and maybe include in there where you are geographically Perhaps even include how and where you like to listen to the show. So maybe that would be, Hi Bruce, I subscribe to the show on iTunes, and so once it downloads, I listen back to it as I drive to and from work every Wednesday. Whatever you want to tell me. If you want to give permission to say your name and location on NHTE, say so in the email, and we will do so on an upcoming episode. The email address is podcast at nhte.net. I will give you that again at the end of today's show. Marty, wow, I mentioned in the intro that you have both opened for and appeared on stage with Willie Nelson. How did all that come to be, and, and why Willie? Um, well, it all happened very organically. Willie uh, appeared on a lot of the same concert bills that I did back in the 90s. There was a, a typhoon relief benefit, and there was a hurricane relief benefit, and an earthquake benefit. He's a very humanitarian artist, as you mm-hmm. might have assumed by now. Mm-hmm. And we shared a lot of concert bills because my band was doing a lot of the similar shows. And they'd seen me. He had seen me perform a few times, so he recognized me. You know, So I saw him in a restaurant one day, and I, he said, hey, come here for a second. <laughs> and, and he said, I remember you from the show last week. We should do something together someday. And wow. me being the, you know, I'm not a starstruck person. I could, you know, Jesus could walk by and be like, yeah, there's Jesus. I'm, I'm not really like someone to hound a celebrity because I, you know, I don't want that to ever happen to me should that ever become my life. But anyway, you know, I, I think most celebrities would rather be treated like human beings. And then, and, and instead of, you know, Oh my God, I have your latest record and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, he, he just said, we should do something together someday. So during that moment, it was in the, right in the middle of the first Iraq war 
what I call Bush War One. <laughs> and uh, so I went home and wrote this, I wrote this song called Take No Part. Uh, ironically, it was over a Sly and Robbie rhythm track. Because um, I mentioned Sly and Robbie earlier. So, mm-hmm. and then I saw him again and I said, hey, I wrote this song. I'd love to have you come sing on it or play Trigger, which is his famous guitar. Or just play Trigger on it or sing it with me. He said, he let me hear the song. So I played him down the song and he's like, man, book the session. I'll be there. You come pick me up and, I, and we'll go do yeah. it. And that, that formed a good relationship because during the process of letting him listen to the mixes of that song to make sure that we got it right, I was fortunate enough to be invited into his home and meet his kids and stuff. And I created a really great bond with his two sons. Um, and we formed a little band together. They were already kind of forming a band. And I just sort of helped mentor them a little bit because they were on their way to becoming fantastic musicians. And they now have super exciting careers on their own. Mm-hmm. His youngest son, Micah, has a band called uh, Insects vs. Robots. <laughs> and then his elder son, Keith Nelson, has a band called Promise of the Real. And they're out there recording and touring and doing all that stuff. So I formed a band with those two boys, and we toured the country opening for Willie a couple uh, of times. We made a record together called Harmonic nice. Tribe, The Awakening, which is on iTunes as well. So you'll hear a very young Lucas Nelson singing and also me singing. Um, so I toured and, you know, we just became really close uh, as a they're so close as a family. And I was just fortunate enough to be in that circle for a few years. And and over time, I Willie was so graceful with me to be able to come back to the studio several more times. So I believe I have seven duets with him now. So I'm trying mm. to get enough duets to put put out a Marty Dreddy Willie Nelson duets record. Mm. But you might imagine his time is very precious and he's yeah. got so many people pulling so, I mean, the fact that I got him in the studio seven times to this point is nothing short of a miracle <laughs> itself. But, you know, I mean, I guess I could put out an EP, but I would prefer to wait for a few more and put out a full length thing if I'm ever going to do it. But he's just been and he's also invited. me. I've played at Farm Aid twice, too, which is a huge concert. I think I, did, I played the one in Kansas City and another one. You know, I'm talking 65,000 people in a big baseball yeah, stadium. Amazing. It's me out. He calls me out on stage and says, hey, here's my friend from Hawaii. Come sing a song with me. <laughs> so that felt – I felt pretty on top of the world during yeah, those moments. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm curious though. I'm, I'm a details person and I know there are up-and-comers who are listening who are who are wanting me to connect the dots. So when you see him in that restaurant and he remembers you, hey, we played together last week. Come here for a minute. And he says, you know, we should do something together. How, what what happens? Does does he say this is my manager? Hey, Fred, give this guy my business card. I mean, how how do you know how to follow up? How do you know how to get in touch? In your in the regular business world, you do. When you live on a small island like Maui, you see the guy eating in a restaurant. You see the guy playing golf. You, see, you oh, know, what I mean, this was in Hawaii. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, he has okay. a second. A home here, so oh, okay. and he doesn't spend very much time here. Actually, he, he, you know, he's probably at eighty-three or four or whatever he is. I think he still tours two hundred days a year. Mm. But when he is here, you'll, you'll see him around, and he's very accessible. There's nobody. I mean, one thing that I, I continue to say about him, and I say this with every honesty, is that he has a, a very uncanny social grace. He has the same feeling with some a bum drinking wine in the park he will approach them with the same genuine humanity as he would you know a politician or a head of state wow. he just has that social grace across the board and he's very approachable wow and i think that that is what drew me to him and you know it, it was just it wasn't like me hounding a celebrity it was just two people meeting and, and admiring each other's thing you know that's kind of how our relationship formed and we're not best friends or anything, you know. We we've just done a few sure, music projects sure. together. But I think we have a very high mutual respect for each other because of the things that we do. You know, we we both do the same general thing. You know? Speaking of mechanics or logistics, whatever word you want to use, the studio work that you have done there's there's quite a list of people that you have worked with. Where does all that recording get done? Meaning, are you alone at a studio in Hawaii? And then what you put down gets shipped off to a studio on the mainland, or do you travel for that work, or are these artists recording there in Hawaii, or what? Let me give you a little background on my moniker, Hawaii's Reggae Ambassador. I was a disc jockey in Hawaii for 27 years, and my partner and I formed the first ever reggae radio station called The Original Reggae Show on KEOI-FM. Through that radio program, 
we, we created so many hits in the reggae genre that a lot of the, the reggae recording artists started touring Hawaii because they had big hits here. So they knew, okay, mm. we can tour there. People know our music. And every artist that came here, I was the person, because I was the, the host of the radio show, I was the person that would greet them, meet them at the airport, bring them flower lays, bring them coconuts or whatever else they needed, and I would show them around town. So I became known amongst all those touring musicians as the guy that greets you when you get to Maui. So they would tell their friends, oh, uh, Ziggy Marley, you're going to Maui? You got to meet Marty. He'll probably meet you at the airport. And blah, blah, blah. So that's how I got my handle, mm-hmm. Hawaii's Rick. Ambassadors. So mm-hmm. during all those years, basically, because I was a recording artist as well, I would just, when I would make friends with those folks, I'd say, hey, you're here for three more days. Do you mind coming in the studio and working on something wow. with me? And almost every time, if time allowed, they would say, sure, you know, I cost X amount per track. Let me let me hear your song. And thankfully, my music was on par enough for them to say, yes, I'll record on this song because musicians don't take just any product. Sure, sure. Under their, you know, they won't sing a song if it's not a good song or sure. not a good production. Sure. No matter what you pay them, because their name is a stupid, yep, right? So yep, exactly. And I, and a lot of so a lot of those things have happened that way, where they were in Hawaii anyway. And um, the Willie stuff obviously all happened in Hawaii. Well, that story is is somewhat untraditional, but still at the same time, I I, I kind of have to think about every musician who hears talk. Of and, and this was the case last week also with Chad Cromwell, who is my guest on Now Hear This Entertainment. Everyone hears people like him, people like you, and they and they think, wow, if only I could get steady work like that. What what advice do you have for musicians who want to get regular session work? Don't live in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> Move to a real market. Uh, regular session work. You know, I, I think... You have to be in a place where there's a lot of music happening all the time. So that's, you know, going to be a metropolis like L.A. or New York or London or somewhere like that. Or Nashville. There is history here that obviously, and we put out a lot of music every year. In fact, it was said about seven years ago that Hawaii was putting out more products annually than Nashville. No kidding. But circle, yeah. That circle of musicians is very small and very tight. Mm. And they always same cats. It's kind of like the whole Motown era. You'll hear predominantly the same players playing drums and bass and keys. Mm-hmm. So getting that work in this is highly unionized, I think would be difficult. Um, but for a young musician to get regular session work, I would say hopefully you'd be blessed with a location where there was a lot of studios and a lot of music happening all the time. And it's no mystery that it's all timing and it's all luck. You have to be in the right place at the right time. I mean, if you asked anybody in the music industry, a lot, from Glenn Campbell, who worked with the Wrecking Crew, to Steve Luther, anyone who's got really good skills on their particular instrument just happened to fall into that situation. Maybe someone left for the afternoon and you took their place and all of a sudden you became the guy. It's all timing and luck. Okay, but but I, I want to jump in here because there's something else that you have that you did that you exhibited, and that's that you had the gumption to ask these people because, yes, you, can, you have to be in the right place at the right time, and here you were the one meeting these people as they're arriving in Hawaii, but somebody could be in that exact same spot as you and say, man, I'm seeing all these people. I'd really love to ask them if I could record with them, but I'm not, I can't ask them that. They'd probably get that all the time, and they're going to say no, and they'll talk themselves out of it, but you took it upon yourself to say, you know what i'm gonna ask i think that i think that you're right that that takes a certain personality to be able to believe in yourself enough to say yeah it's worth you know the worst i can hear is no exactly you know, they'll they'll either say yes or no but getting the courage to ask them is not everybody's uh, trait obviously so i think that gumption does go a long way It's not everybody's trait, but should should people say, "Wait a minute, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna rally around Marty's story, and even though that's not who I am, I need to become that kind of person because look at where it got him." I believe they should. I mean, there's a, a fine line. You don't want to be stepping on toes to get a, to get these things to happen. But when the opportunity presents itself, you're in that moment, and you have to say, "Okay, I need to seize this 
and seize this opportunity because that's what it is. It's an opportunity that might be gone in two hours. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the foresight to know this is my moment to ask. A lot of my career, the first time I played in Tahiti, if I hadn't taken the initiative to to be that way, for instance, there was an artist, he's from Papua New Guinea, his name is Ocean. He had the number one song in the country of Tahiti at the time. And just so happens we work with the same backing band in Honolulu. Hmm. And he was going down to Tahiti to do a concert. And I said to his promoter, we use the same band. If I'm in Tahiti already, can I open that show? <laughs> I wasn't going to be in Tahiti already. I, had to, <laughs> I hadn't even booked a plane ticket. But all I needed to hear from him was, if you're there, yeah, you use the same band. You hang out with us. You're cool. And then I went and booked my ticket. And, you know, it, oh, the very next year, I had the number one Tahiti because oh. I recorded a song called Tahiti, which became a huge smash into Tahiti the very next year. Oh, I love it. So it, you have to take opportunities to, to better yourself. I love it. I love it. That, that, that's, a great, that's a great way to finish. What a great story. Marty, we're going to close today with a song of yours called Love Somebody. But before we let you go, tell the listeners all about this song, please. Okay. This, this song and another one is very close to my heart. It talks about the crazy times we live in, the, the political environment, and how busy people get with being caught up with their everyday lives. But the, the hook of the song says, did you love somebody today? Before you walked out the door, did you kiss your child and wife? Did, or did your life get in the way and you forgot to do that? Did the people around you know from your mouth, from your words, exactly how you feel about them? Did you love somebody today? Hmm. Wow, fantastic. And this one, uh, this will be on, on the new release that, that you hope to have out by the end of the year? Indeed, and I'm thinking of calling the release Love Somebody. I'm not quite sure about the title yet, but that's my working title, as it were. All right. Well, listeners, as you've heard me say so many times before, I, I love the, uh, I'll say, uncertainty because it gives you all the more reason to keep up with Marty online and, and watch for his updates for what he ends up calling it, when it ends up coming out, those types of things. Marty, thank you ever so much, and uh, best of luck with that new release. Thank you, Bruce. It's a pleasure being on your program. Yes, sir. Aloha to all your listeners as well. Listeners, that will do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. A very big thank you to singer, songwriter, guitar player Marty Dredd. Do visit his official website. It's martydredd.com. And then, you know it's coming... Engage with him on social media, so that means like his Facebook page, follow him on Twitter, plus subscribe to his YouTube channel, and then watch and like the videos on there. For that matter, tell him you heard him and his music on Now Hear This Entertainment. Remember that just like this show, you can listen to Marty's music on SoundCloud. As you have heard, he has an extensive catalog, so do purchase his music from iTunes. And of course, as I mentioned, keep up with Marty online. Also, so that you can see dates and locations of where he is performing, that's on martydread.com, but a reminder that he does also have martydreadweddings.com. And here is your invitation again. Send an email just to let us know that you listen to Now Hear This Entertainment and maybe include in that where you are geographically, perhaps even include, as I said before, how and where you like to listen to the show. For instance, it might be, I have an Android phone, Bruce, so I subscribe and I get it on Stitcher Radio and I listen to it while I'm working out at the gym. If you want to give permission to say your name and location on NHTE, say so in the email and I will do so on an upcoming episode. The email address, once again, is podcast at nhte.net. Thank you for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from Marty Dredd. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Love Somebody. Every time I look around, always something going down. I heard on the news today, all the jobs moved out of town. Life in the neighborhood was always bad, now it's worse. With all of these changes, you know it's time to put love first. Well, everyone's in a hurry, no one takes the time. What will your answer be to this question of mine? Did you love somebody today? Did you take some time to pray? In the
the hustle and bustle of your busy life? Did you kiss your child and wife? Did you love somebody today? Or did your life get in the way? Do the people have to say you truly love? Know exactly how you feel. I hope they do. Exactly how you feel, I hope they do. 